Epic is a word often applied to cinema, but rarely can it have been more appropriately used than to describe the work of Peter Jackson and Philippa Boynes. For along with writing partner Fran Walsh, it is they that have brought us both The Lord of the Rings and The Hobbit trilogies, not to mention King Kong. Their latest project is the equally ambitious Mortal Engines, which they wrote and produced, based on the novel of the same name by Philip Reeve. Mortal Engines is based on the mind-boggling premise that cities of the future have been mounted on wheels and motorised in order that they can hunt and prey upon each other. The film score is provided by Tom Hulkenberg, also known as Junkie XL, a previous guest on this show, and it is with his cue, Welcome to London, that we begin, as Peter and Philippa explain what so appealed about Reeves' post-apocalyptic vision. Peter, welcome to Soundtrack, and it's such a pleasure to have you both on because, well, you've been very much part of myself and a lot of our listeners' kind of um, movie life, I would say, for the past 20-odd years, so thank you for being here. Thank you. Thank you. And let's talk first about um, Mortal Engines. Why did you want to tell this story, and what was it that you connected with, with these books that are, what, nearly 20 years old now? Yeah, well, I mean, when I when I first read them, um, there was four books, you know, which was actually good because I was able to binge on them like a like a <laughs> like a Netflix show. So, and that was about ten years ago when I read the first one, and then straight into the second, the third, the fourth. And so, I, I really, my introduction to it was um, was a, was an entire sort of life story of um, Hester and Tom. It was like it wasn't just a, the first story, and I just thought it was incredible the the, the world that it, it's set in, but also the, them as characters and the, and what Philip Reeve, the author, did in surprise, you know, so, so many twists and turns mm. and unexpected things and their characters develop in ways that you, you're really interested in complex, layered ways. Um, and so that was, uh, I just thought, wow, this, this would, these would make a great film. And I don't, you know, I, I never read books with that plan in mind. I mm. just read books. I mean, somebody told me that these were fun books and I thought I'd, I'd enjoy them. And so anyway, I came away from the masking, uh, I came away from ha having finished the fourth one, quite about the film rights and we, they were available, and we got the film rights in 2008. And we were busy at the time. Uh, Tintin and District 9 were just happening, so we had to sort of couldn't jump onto the Mortal Engines project immediately. And just when we did, we started a little bit of work, and then the um, Hobbit came along, which was not really expected because of that was a... Uh, thing. Just a <laughs> well, the, yeah, the, but the rights of the Hobbit were always entangled, and we didn't think they'd ever get clear, so we didn't have any wow. expectation, and then Warner suddenly called us and said, well, we, got, we want to get going in the way with the Hobbit. So, we, so Mortal Engines actually got shelved for a while and um, came back to it after the Hobbit, but, but however, that's the, you know, there was the characters. It, it's a great world, it's an incredible world, but it's, um, it was a character story that got me hooked. Was it easy to write 
the screenplay for it in terms of knowing what you would focus on with those stories and those characters? I think, right, right, I think the words writing and easy never go. Anyway. No, no. Never, never, can never use them in the same sentence. Huh? No, I'm thinking, I'm thinking about a few four o'clock in the morning. <laughs> oh, I, thought, I thought you were going to say a few four-letter words. Sorry. Yeah. Well, I could do that as well. <laughs> four o'clock in the morning, four-letter words. Uh, no, I, I do. I, I rem there were a few four o'clock in the morning sessions on this one, oh, wow. but it, it was a lot of fun. It wasn't, it wasn't a chore. You know, we're so incredibly lucky and privileged to be able to do what we're doing. And, uh, you know, I felt like one of the things that I loved about working on, obviously, Lord of the Rings, but also this book, was that you get to step into that world every, yeah. every day. And, and we yeah. were... Sorry. No, you go. Oh, no, I was just going to say, yeah, I was just going to say that... Um, you know, Tolkien had this great vision for Middle-earth that he wrote in not just The Lord of the Rings but other books. But in a way, I, I think that Philip Reeve's world is comparable because it was the four books in the series when we first jumped on board in 2008. But when we actually, after The Hobbit was finished and we came to, to really sit down and write it, he'd written three more prequel books. So, so in a way, he'd fleshed out a world that's almost as big as Tolkien's world. And, and, mm. and even though we were just making the first book, you know, in the, in the four book series, I mean, we had the rights to, to all, all of the books. I um, mean, we still, still do have the rights to all of the books. So we were able to dip into those for, to get a feel for the greater world. So, you know, which was really, as, as a writer, in particular, that's a really helpful thing. Yeah, absolutely. I think um, it was interesting working with Fran, who is, you know, not here, but is such an important element of the storytelling in any film that we tackle. Um, one of the places she first starts, you know, when we sit down and start looking at that blank page and where are we going to start, and is the ideas that inform the storytelling. And this story is so rich. It's so full of so many, and it's not just the obvious, which is the uniqueness of the world, mm -hmm. giant moving cities, you know, I mean, immediately you want to see that, right? Yeah. But it was more than that. It was about the underlying uh, themes in, in the story, such as, you know, the parenting that goes mm -hmm. on and, 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 and what being a parent really truly is, and, um, and also... Um, being, well. Yeah, the lack of parenting. Yeah, so it's not really a film about parenting. No, it's not. It's not a parenting <laughs> not, film. Not, not really. I'm talking about I some know, of the underlying about ideas. But, but, but it is. It would be we really have boring. It would be a really boring movie. Yes. And this is exactly. far from boring. It is far from boring. <laughs> <laughs> but but what it did what it does do is it gives you these incredibly rich characters yeah. those sort of ideas yeah. because actually the true parent in this story is like no parent you've ever seen before yeah. half human half cyborg psycho killer yeah who actually has, ends up having the purest heart and oh. of all these characters really well it's funny you should mention that because we we're going to talk about music and and you worked with with junkie xl thomas who's been on the show previously mm. and in that particular scene where we see his purest heart that's all i'm going to say mm. so no spoilers the piece the music in that specific scene the hairs of my arms just gone on end thinking about it it's so beautiful
Can we talk a little bit about why Thomas was the right man for the job and the conversations you had with him as you know as producers on this as well? Because Christian was the director mm -hmm. on this, but I, I imagine you guys were fully involved in that. Oh, uh, sure. I mean, Thomas is a. I, I'd hopefully this is the first film of many that we'll do with, with Thomas. I mean, that's the best thing you can say about someone. You come out of an experience and you want to do it again. He's absolutely terrific in every possible way. He's on our side. He's not someone who's doing his music and. You know, our suggestions are not welcome. I mean, he, he, he listens to us, he's um, collaborative, he's part of the team, and he really digs deep into the movie. I so admired the way that he, not, not just threw himself time-wise into doing the score, but emotionally, he, he just got so wrapped up in the characters, which you want your composer to do that, because that's where the music comes from. It comes from his heart, from his soul. That's where, that's where he goes to find the music and when you see that he's he, he's he's gone down down the rabbit hole and he's gone into the world you think okay now the music's going to be fantastic mm. and it certainly was you know that's uh, yeah absolutely Yeah, and he's really original too. Mm. I mean, it, right down to um, how he creates that music. Is yeah, it? I mean, he, you know, we didn't want an electronic score, and nor did he. But we got something better than, but we got something better than orchestral score, better than electronic score. We got, we, we, he, he has this incredible technical ability, which I actually I wasn't even aware that you could do it, where he can he can record sounds and and, and, and crazy nutcase sounds and turn them into orchestral instruments and play them like an orchestra. So you're getting an orchestral score, but instead of it being, you know, a violin playing, you're getting some bloody pipe that he's banging on some tank that's making some echo and he's, and he's manipulated that on a computer to cr sort of sound like a violin, but it's not. And, and so it's traditional music. It's not just some crazy electronic stuff, which, which you know, but, but, it's, but it's coming from a... A place that's not not a, not really an orchestra, but it's orchestral. It's mm. it's when and I and I thought they, his creativity and imagination and doing that stuff was was amazing and suited the film perfectly.
as soon as the film opens really you're kind of the music does a, a really important job I think in terms of it it kind of sets up jeopardy almost I think kind mm. of straight away and it just for me that kind of shows you how powerful when it's right the music can be in terms of telling you so much more than words or narrative can even before you've started really yeah but you know what else he did was he it, it, the, the music works so beautifully with the soundscape yeah. of the film yeah. and the sound in this film is some of the best sound I think has ever come out of some of our you know sound well, well that, I mean, that, well, that's another another thing that he was very um, focused on which again I, I was full of full of admiration for is he wanted to have lots of meetings with the sound designers he, he wanted to say well let's decide what what they're doing what I'm doing and and whatever they're doing I want to write music that's going to work with their sound effects and and so and and, and you know we, we haven't really had that experience of normally a composer does their their score and sound effects guys do their mm. sound effects and you're in the mixing stage trying to make the two work together uh, you know but but he he doesn't work that way which um, yeah. is great he yeah. he wants to work with the sound designers to make sure they're not stepping on each other's toes and everything and they don't no and they, no no, no they it was, it's fantastic I was always a little bit nervous that this was going to be a noisy film. And by noisy, I mean, you know, you've got, well, you start with giant moving cities and not exactly quiet. But what, what they did and what the music reinforces is instead of that, what you get is a sense of power. Mm -hmm. um, so instead of a noisy cacophony of, of, of an engine, mm -hmm. you, what you get is this, this deep, low rumble. And that can, and then you feel them when, the, you know, when they, when they uh, put their you know, foot on the gas, so to speak, and, and chase down this, this smaller t town, and you feel that rev up, and then the music comes with it, and all of that sort of stuff. And then the contrast, which also happens in the film, is, is, is when the, the city's not there, and everything goes quiet, and Tom reflects that again yeah. in the music. listen to music when you're writing 
Can you do something? Yeah, it's a good question. I, 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 well, the answer to it, I'd say, is not, not as much as we should do. I mean, honestly, because whenever, whenever I have done it, I really love it. But, you know, sometimes you just, you're, you're working on a, on a scene with the three of us and you just don't think to put music on or you're wanting to talk to each other. You know what I mean? yeah. Because when you've got three people writing, it's a conversational event, you know, where you're working on a whiteboard and everyone's talking, and to have music playing would almost be sort of too difficult to, to have conversation with, with each other. But occasionally, if we're writing by ourselves or I'm writing some sort of description of some action, of, you, know, you know, we've divided up the, the, the jobs and stuff to do. I mean, I, I do, I have a, certainly written with music, but because most of the writing what I do with um, Fran and Phil, not, not by myself, it's, um, you know, yes, and unfortunately, music is a bit of an, intr- of an intrusion. But... I do play music uh, when I'm thinking about films, and when, when I'm directing a movie too. Um, when I'm directing a movie, I might often have something playing in the car when I'm driving onto the set. You know, you know when I'm driving to, to, the, to the studio each day. You know, just something to to get my head in, into it. Yeah, for sure. I would love to use music more as well, but um, what we find is uh, often when Fran and I are writing together, we're being the characters, so we're doing. We actually. Get try and get the lines off the page. Not that either of us are actors, but but it is one of those things where you you say the line aloud, and I you know you never sort of want to overwork anything too much. And I think if I had a score playing under some of those scenes, I probably you'd be over overacting, overacting terribly. (laughs) More more overacting than you do normally. Normally, yeah, exactly. (laughs) Or singing along to songs, (laughs) taking the character somewhere completely different. It's also really important to know to not use sound and music and that can be as effective and as powerful absolutely i think christian was very aware of that wasn't he he wanted that moment of silence yeah yeah i think that there's it's interesting yeah you can you can write you know and this always happens and i think it happened on on this film too is you write music for a scene and then when you're in the mixing stage you just say well let's have a just have a listen to it just put the music off you know in the mixing stage we'll just have a listen to it with the the effects only and sometimes it, it works and sometimes it doesn't but the luxury that you try and do is to write score for everything that you think should have score. You know, and obviously some bits of it you decided are going to be silent. And then to find, see if, and always sit, see if there's any holes that you can create where even though you've written and recorded a score, you can still take, take it out. And it can be very, very powerful, but it's always good to have the backup of having music there just in case. Because yeah. you really don't know the answers to some of these questions until you're in the mixing stage, and at that point it's too late to, to write music, so you sort of tend to have to cover your bases a little bit. Um, and Thomas is fine with that too. He's very happy to write stuff and then have it pulled out because he, you know, he understands the process, he understands the value of having it and then the creative step where you decide that, you know. And also, if you take music out of a scene, it makes the music, when it comes in next time, much more powerful. It's, you know, it, it is just, it is a balance. And, and, and if you get the balance right, you've got the power of silence. And then when you do have a score, it's more powerful than if it's just wall-to-wall, yeah. wall-to-wall music. Those, the two scenes that really stuck with me were with the scene that we mentioned earlier where um, Truck's true heart is, is kind of shown and then also when they arrive past the wall uh, as well and those are kind of just, I don't know what it is specifically about those pieces but for me they really resonated with me. When you are, what kind of conversations do you have with Thomas about do, um, or do you, or do you kind of let him go away, come up with something and then the conversation uh, starts? No, you, you spot them, we do what? It's called spotting the movie, which is you do you do certainly talk about the type of music most of the time. You know, and, and it's interesting because, uh, like the, the 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 example that you mentioned, where they go through the wall and they see, you know, that 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 music is is you know the, the, it's uh, the imagery is beautiful. It's a part of the world we haven't been to before, a green, lush, gorgeous part of the world. But it's also you become at that exact moment that you see this beauty. 
you instantly realise that this is the this is under danger. You know, and until you see it, you don't appreciate what is actually what is is under under jeopardy. And, and, and that this is the so you're sort of you're seeing it for the first time and realising that God, I, I, this is beautiful, but it's about to be destroyed. And the music has to reflect that. So what you generally do with a with a composer is you just have a sort of conversation we've just had now where you you talk about what you want the audience what you want the music to actually achieve because you know music is always something that's going to ideally speak to the emotion of the audience but you know it, it has to speak to the right emotion so it would have been wrong to just simply play uh, music that says well look how beautiful this is <laughs> yes. you know it has to but it, but it has to do that I mean it has to say look how beautiful this is but but enjoy it because this is about to be obliterated you know so that so you you know and, and, and as soon as you just set some sort of note that you give give to time and, and that's as far as as far as you need, need to need to take it because it's that's all that he needs to go away and to and to come up with with their music but it's um, it's all about being on the same page and understanding what the scene has to do It's also underscoring a, a very personal speech for the character of Anna, mm. Anna Fang, um, and what she's speaking to is freedom, yeah. a sense of being free because she was once a slave, and that moment when you know just timing it right and and getting that sense is when you sweep into that world, that whole other world that we you kind of didn't know even existed. Um, that timing, all of that had to had to come together. Um, and again, that's that's one of those moments where you're not just working with effects and music, you're working with the voice as well. And getting that mix right is really hard. you back just for a second to how you felt about or what you wanted how you wanted music to be within the Lord of the Rings and those and how that started in that relationship with Howard and what the conversations were and, and you know it was the start of something that at, at that point I'm sure you didn't know where it was going to go and it was going to no, lead in no. those films then the Hobbit films but and working with him throughout all of yeah. that. Well, it, there was there was really only one thing that we wanted with the music. Um, it, well, we hoped that we would get with the Lord of the Rings. Is, is um, we wanted some very strong themes because it was a series of films and it was characters, ongoing stories. We wanted to you know to establish like a theme for um, the Hobbits or you know that would be in the first film, and then when you you know then it can be used in the second or the third film.
we wanted, you know, that idea of continuing themes, which is really what, what John Williams has, has done very successfully in his you know, Star Wars series and things. You just, you know, you you know where you are in the story and who you're with, mm. you know, you know, because of the music is is taking you there. So that's what that's that certainly was our idea going in before we even knew who would ask the composer. And then we had storyboards um, of for the movie and some animatics. And what you always do with the storyboards and the animatics is you make up a little sort of a fake little film and you sort of you film the storyboards and you cut them together like you know to two or three seconds per storyboard and you just sort of cut it like a film. You try to make it seem like it's um you can watch a movie in this sort of very crude form. And what we do part of that is we, is we get soundtrack albums and we try to put music to, to it as well because you know if you're wanting it to replicate what a, a crude version of what the film might be like. Music's a big part of it. So we were trying all sorts of different music because we were just, it was just from soundtracks that existed. And for some weird reason, and we didn't, we would never have guessed it, uh, the music that was always working best with our animatics was Howard Shaw music from The Fly, from Silence of the Lambs, um, from, from one or two other movies that he did. And, yeah. I, and I would have never guessed it. I would have thought that's, you know, The Fly working, working with the Lord of the Rings, the Lord of the Rings animatics and storyboard yeah. that you'd never think. And so we, we sort of got to the point with the end of that. We sort of thought, God, this is this stuff that we're getting off of, off of Howard Shaw's. And this was a guy that I'd never met him before, never spoken to him. Uh, the stuff we're getting off Howard Shaw's movies is really working fantastically well. So maybe we should ask Howard if he wants to do the, do the movie. And that, that was literally exactly wow. exactly how it, how it happened. Wow. Yeah. That's, <laughs> that's true. That's brilliant. There's obviously an emotion within his music that resonated with Something, he's something. He, no, he is. Yeah. He, he, he is incredibly emotional. I think he's... But he's also got. He's also had a dark emotion, which suited the Lord of the Rings. It's a melancholy. It's yeah. a sort of. It's not a rah rah rah. You know, no. in the way that the way that say that you know a John Williams sort of sort of theme might might be. It's a, it's a it's a melancholy sadness to his music. Even the sort of more of the cheerful stuff.
I remember my very first piece that I, that I heard and I actually cried was when Fran played me Let There Be A Little More Light and then that, that moment when he steps forward and you hear that and you and reveal on Casa Doom. one of those moments where it was like this is the most perfect combination of someone who truly understands the fabric of the world that Tolkien wrote. And and so we, we so what we what happened I remember now is we was we before we started shooting there's all this uh, I talked about happened obviously before we started shooting the movie doing the storyboards and the music and Howard Shaw themes and stuff Howard Shaw soundtracks and so we um we we contacted him and had a phone call with him and he was very interested in being involved um and he jumped on a plane and came down to New Zealand and we were still, you know, some weeks away from shooting. And he, uh, rent, we rented him a house just down the road and he said, look, he's going to stay for a couple of weeks. He wants to meet us and, 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 um, and learn as much as he can about the film and visit sets that were being built at the time and absorb it all. And um, he asked for a piano to be put into the room, into the house that we hired from. We did and then after a few days of him arriving he called us up and he said do you want to come around for a cup of tea and I've got some stuff to play and we hadn't even started shooting the movie yet and he played um, like the Hobbit, the theme for the Hobbits um, which is almost identical to what it is in the film and he had, and he, and he had one or two mm. others he was actually he was starting to write the themes before we even shot, shot a single fr <laughs> frame of film. That's yeah. amazing. Yeah, yeah.
And actually, I have to say, again, I wish Fran was here because she had a huge part to do with yes, it. Yes, Fran is, and, 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 and it's, it's true, true of, um, oh. of this movie too, with Tom, mm-hmm. Thomas. Yeah. Fran's really the... the the member of our of our trio who 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 takes on the burden of the music more than more so than Philip and myself. Yeah, yeah I, I do not yeah. have a musical bone in my body. Well, I, I don't believe say. that for a second. No, no. I, I tell you what, I did get to do though, which was on Lord of the Rings, which I I will forever be grateful for, was to because Howard knew he wanted choir he very early on, and I did. Yeah. I got to write lyrics, and actually. You know, he found it really helpful because often what I might come up with when he's asking for a theme or something, you know, helped him think about the moment in another way as well. Amazing. Mm. Thank you so much, guys. I hope this is maybe the first of. It feels like we need Fran here for episode two, talking more. We need to. We need to do a. We need to do a series (laughs) series on the on the old stories of. Let's do it. it There is interesting stories that I I forget them all, and then when I'm in an interview like this, Mm -hmm. they suddenly start to sort of trickle back into my into my brain because usually my my hard drive only holds a certain (laughs) amount. So it goes into the bin it's at the back, and, I, and, I've, and I've got to retrieve all this stuff, <laughs> and it takes, it takes a few minutes. Well, listen, thank you for your time today. I really appreciate it. Thank you so much. It's been well. lovely. Thank, thank you. you. Thank you. From the score to Lord of the Rings, Fellowship of the Ring, that's Lament for Gandalf, featuring Elizabeth Fraser of the Cocteau Twins, rounding off this latest episode of Soundtracking with Peter Jackson and Philippa Boynes. A huge thanks to Peter and Philippa for taking the time to talk to us. Mortal Engines is on general release around the world, now with Junkie XL score available from our good friends at Backlot Music. Now we'll put a Spotify playlist for the show up via edithbowman.com which is also the place to subscribe to the podcast and catch up on all of our previous episodes. Tom Hulkenberg aka Junkie XL appears in episode 81 in case you're wondering. Follow us on Facebook, Instagram and Twitter. We are at Soundtracking UK and please do spread the word if you like what you hear. Speaking of which, huge thanks to Simon Brew for the mention in his new monthly magazine, Film Stories, which is well worth checking out. Get subscribing at filmstories.co.uk. Next up, the fabulous Rob Marshall on his new interpretation of Mary Poppins, Mary Poppins Returns. I very much look forward to the pleasure of your company then.